Gather round, everyone. It's election week in America. And I'm curious, Jordan, what's the general atmosphere like when it's time to vote in the UK? Do you have election years? Okay, well, this is a tricky question, actually. Someone asked me about this the other day. They were like, when's your next election, aka when can you get rid of your current prime minister? And I didn't know because I was like, wait, hold on. How many like how many years has he been prime minister? And the thing with us is you can call an early election if you feel confident that your party is going to get reelected. And that's what previous prime ministers have done. But also our last two prime ministers resigned. So we're in this weird place where I basically feel like everyone is just fed up of the change of power and the election cycle. Yeah, I'm sure everyone is super chill about it, right? Like they're honest, totally above board, informed by people only interested in the truth. (laughs) Well, you know, much as I would hope that everyone gets their information from reputable newspapers like the one that I write for, I get the sense that a lot of people get their information and vote based on what they read on Facebook. Yes, Facebook. So when you think of disinformation, Facebook is probably what comes to mind. But what you may not think of is one of Facebook's other products, WhatsApp, which has many of the same problems as Facebook, but even fewer people are paying attention. And the reason is this. WhatsApp is largely used by immigrant communities, like, for example, Latinos in Florida. So to get into this story, we're going to go to Florida. I've heard of it. It's uh, sunny. Yeah, (laughs) it is the sunshine state. Yes. And it also has a particularly interesting relationship with elections. The most famous example is probably the presidential election in 2000, George Bush versus Al Gore, which was essentially decided by a few hundred votes in the state. The Supreme Court got involved, it was a whole thing, and it left many people feeling like their votes didn't matter. 20 years later, there's a lot more to be concerned about. Conspiracy theories, interference, alternative facts. We're all feeling some of that disillusionment today all across the country, But understanding why might once again come down to Florida, where there is a lesser known and underreported epidemic of disinformation. And it was all, you know, masked also in this like anti-Semitism, this racism, this misogyny. Like it was always these like insane messages. That's Sabrina Rodriguez, a reporter for Politico and the first person we're going to be talking to about this. The next person is a little bit more personal because I have a stake in this story. This disinformation problem I spoke to Sabrina about It's specifically a problem facing Florida Latinos, a demographic that is uniquely important when it comes to presidential elections and one that I have a connection to. These are major issues we're talking about here. That's my uncle, Ezekiel Rivera. He lives in Florida, is a part of the Latinx community, and has a real problem with misinformation, not just on WhatsApp, but across all the media available to him. Today, we'll look at the online disinformation problem in Florida and how it affects the Latinx community specifically at a critical time in a critical swing state. When we get back, the cloud of disinformation looming over the Sunshine State. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech, a podcast about technology, culture, and how those two things collide to give us the unexpected and unprecedented. Today's episode is obviously pertinent to this very critical moment in time, but it's also just another thing we have to learn how to deal with in daily life. Disinformation and how the technology that has empowered us to connect and get more involved in democracy has also made it harder for us to practice that democracy. So to start, we have to talk briefly a bit about how democracy works in the United States. So Jordan, do you know why Florida is so important? 
I remember Florida getting mentioned on the news a lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was like a swing state. So Florida is a big deal for two reasons. The first one is, like you said, it's a swing state, which means historically presidential races are very close in that state and neither party's candidate is ever a safe bet. The other reason is related to this, which is the Electoral College. Are you familiar? My instinct tells me it's bad, but I couldn't <laughs> tell you why. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. And it's a debate that comes up more and more lately. But very simply, presidents are elected by electoral votes, not popular votes, which are just the sum total of people who voted for you. The way it works is whoever wins the popular vote in a given state wins all of that state's electoral votes, of which a candidate needs 270 to win. So winning Florida is one of the biggest gets for a presidential candidate. You can go ahead and say the way we pick presidents is stupid because you're kind of right. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's that much better over here in the UK, but um, I won't get into it. <laughs> but basically, it sounds like both countries could do with being a bit more representative. Yeah, to me, there are at least three extra steps that we don't need, yes. But that's the process we have. So Florida is extremely important. And within Florida, Latinos comprise 27% of the population, nearly a third. As demographics go, that is an extremely vital group to win over in an extremely vital state. You could argue that this very specific population could decide an entire election. So naturally, they're swimming in disinformation that's making it extremely hard for them to vote. I'm Sabrina Rodriguez, politics reporter at Politico. Sabrina wrote an article with her political colleague Mark Caputo with a headline I couldn't ignore. This is effing crazy. Florida Latinos swamped by wild conspiracy theories. Wait, the this is effing crazy part was in the headline? Yep. No, that's the headline. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought you were just commenting on it. <laughs> <laughs> so this immediately had me thinking of my family. I spoke to my uncle, who is very much struggling with this whole entire issue. And it turns out that when Sabrina started reporting this story, it was due to very similar concerns. Yeah, so I'm originally from Florida. Um, I'm from South Florida, Cuban-American, Latina. So I've grown up, you know, understanding the culture here, understanding how important, you know, the Florida vote is, the Latino vote is, all of that. And I kept running across all these conspiracy theories being shared on WhatsApp groups, on Facebook, that were just wild. And then a colleague of mine, Mark Caputo, who I co-wrote the article with, he also has been reporting in Florida for years, and it came to his attention through different, you know, strategists and consultants in Florida that are focused on politics. So we kind of put it together, realizing, you know, this is a huge problem. Sabrina told me there are two reasons that this is such a big problem. The first is that while we've started to get better about fact-checking disinformation since it became such a problem in the 2016 election, the majority of these mainstream efforts are in English, with very few Spanish-language equivalents. The other problem is that most of it is on WhatsApp. Yeah, I use WhatsApp all the time. It's uh, good for some things, bad for being added to numerous WhatsApp groups that give you constant notifications through the day. Yeah. Can you actually tell me a little bit more about using WhatsApp? Because here in America, it's only kind of used by a lot of immigrant communities, which we'll hear Sabrina talk about some more. Oh, I had no idea. No, like everyone uses it here. I mean, like family groups, right, is such a huge thing. Like I have a WhatsApp group going at the moment called Among Us, where <laughs> some of my siblings and partners and things plan to play Among Us. Everyone uses it. Yeah. So I had no idea that it was so commonplace for you. Here, it's a little bit less so, unless you are in an immigrant community. 
WhatsApp, I, you know, I didn't realize before writing this story how little people actually know about it. It's used, you know, within a lot of immigrant communities because WhatsApp doesn't require that you have an iPhone. WhatsApp doesn't require that you have iMessage. It doesn't require that you have a U.S. phone number. So it's very easy to, with different area codes, different country codes, be able to connect and have group chats. And there's not really a limit to the number of people that you can have in a message. So it's very easy for, you know, Venezolanos for Biden to create a group, Venezolanos for Trump to create a group and have, you know, 100 people, 100 different phone numbers, people that don't even necessarily know each other uh, on there sharing messages. And it could be people that are in Colombia, people that are in New York, people that are in Florida, people that are in Mexico. And it doesn't matter. All it requires is that you have a phone that, you know, a smartphone that will allow you to download WhatsApp. But it's very easy to spread information on there. And because it's in the format of just like group messages and such, you know, it's not something like a Facebook feed or a Facebook, you know, where the company in theory could moderate and look at what the messages are, look at what the posts are. The concept is, you know, it's private messaging. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people use WhatsApp over here is because it's you get this sense that it's like private. I mean, it's end-to-end encrypted. So it's where you talk kind of away from prying eyes, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, you can use it on your computer and stuff as well. Like I always have WhatsApp open on my laptop while I'm working in case I get messages so that I don't have to look at my phone. WhatsApp looks a lot like private messages. Sabrina explored some groups on the app and here's what she said about some of the troubling messages she found. The majority of what I was seeing was all, you know, targeting Joe Biden, targeting Democrats. And, you know, a lot of the Trump administration's messaging towards Latinos and towards Florida specifically has been, you know, if you vote for a Democrat, you're a socialist. If you vote for a Democrat, you're like supporting communism and, and all of that. So a lot of them kind of centered around that message, but just with wild theories, uh, you know, about Joe Biden being friends with like Venezuela's dictator and, you know, and being friends with people, communists in Cuba. Uh, And then, you know, it went as far out as, you know, George Soros is like the puppet master behind the Democrats. And it was all, you know, masked also in this like anti-Semitism, this racism, this misogyny. Like it was always these like insane messages. There was still criticism of Hillary Clinton um, talking about Black Lives Matter and, you know, how it's worse than how people that support Black Lives Matter are worse than the Nazis, because at least the Nazis didn't steal like that. That was actually printed in a newspaper insert in Miami. You know, just like that, you find it everywhere. You find it on the radio waves here. You find it in WhatsApp groups. So it's really hard to, to kind of distinguish you know, what is right and what's wrong. And this is coming from someone that's in the media, someone that is a journalist. (laughs) I totally see why some people would read this and say, oh, but this came from like a website that says it's a news site. Like, how am I supposed to know that it's not? Yeah, I guess like a big problem is that there is so much stuff out there now and it's all available in the same way, right? Like it's all just a click away. So there's no kind of way to differentiate the stuff that is reputable from the stuff that is not, at least not easily, and how everything is so fast now as well, thanks to the internet. And like on WhatsApp, you can share stuff so quickly and you want to because you're chatting with your friends every day and you want to say something in the group. So you just share something that you saw and then it gets spread to loads and loads of people. And yeah, I can see how this kind of thing happens. And it's also important to understand that many Hispanic and Latin Americans don't necessarily get their news from what, in our media landscape, is considered the mainstream. 
in South Florida, it's very common to, you know, listen to the radio, which to some of us is not the most common thing anymore. But, you know, when I started listening to South Florida radio and talking to people about it, you know, there was commentators that are going on on a regular basis to, you know, talk about how Democrats are like in witchcraft or they're in like cults <laughs> and and you know how if if Biden were to win, you know, the country's going to be run by black people and communists and, you know, Jewish people. It's it, all these wild um, theories and just disinformation. And just honestly, I hate to use the phrase fake news, but all this fake news um, was being spread. So, you know, going realizing how prevalent that was, I started to talk to more people and get a sense of just how how widespread it is. And it really seems that in the last year and in this specific election cycle, it's been a huge problem. Um, and, you know, campaigns, because some of it is going through WhatsApp, before, because some of it is just going through, you know, family group chats, it's harder to kind of regulate that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because even though Facebook owns WhatsApp, Facebook is way more able to moderate stuff on the social media platform, right? Like stuff that you see on your feed. Whereas with these family group chats, it's like private messaging, right? Like Facebook isn't coming in and going, oh, this is fake news. Like, oh, this is disinformation or whatever. The big thing is, I mean, we know that this kind of thing has been happening forever, right? Like people spreading disinformation, but WhatsApp makes it so quick and you can send it to so many people at once with these with these groups because it's coming from one person and it's it's in a group like you might not feel as able to challenge it like if you're in a family group chat with your parents and your aunts and uncle and your siblings and one of them says something that's a bit off if you challenge that then it's going to bring it to everyone else's attention as well and you might not want to deal with that so it might be easier to just kind of let it go yeah it's super weird you know to go from hey i'm going to pick up something for dinner but when are you going to be over to by the way, I read this thing about the earth being flat. <laughs> right. It brings it into your everyday life. Like you can't avoid it. It's not like, okay, here is my time when I read the news and then I go about my life. It's like, oh, here is the conversations I have to have with my family members. Also, there's all this disinformation sprinkled in. And I didn't know, because obviously everyone here in the UK uses WhatsApp or like everyone I know does. So I had no idea that in the US, this very specific problem was a specific problem for immigrant communities. Yeah. And even when you talk about immigrant communities, there's also like great diversity within this community. So we're talking about Florida's Latinx community. But even within that, there are all these other different smaller communities. And Sabrina talks to us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is, you know, Latinos are not a monolith. You know, I don't know how many times that can be said before like will actually stick. You know, at this point, based on numbers, you know, Puerto Ricans in Central Florida are supposed to become the biggest group of Latinos in the state very soon. So and then when you look beyond that, there's Venezuelans, there's Colombians, there's Nicaraguans, there's Dominicans. I mean, there's from everywhere here. What this means is that there isn't one political position or party that's going to appeal to all Latin Americans. We're all over the map, even within Florida. And while Cubans are, you know, traditionally Republican and do lean Republican, there are, you know, that sweet spot, like you mentioned in my story, we talk about, you know, Colombians and Venezuelans are much more, you know, typically recently arrived, recently became citizens. So oftentimes they register just independent because they haven't, you know, decided what their political leaning is. So they're really in that sweet spot of what Democrats and Republicans are trying to court and the voters that they want to win over. Just the same way that we talk about 
stereotypically Cubans being Republican, Republicans obviously want it to be known that, you know, Venezuelans tend to be Republican or Colombians tend to be Republican. With that in mind, it's sharing information within these groups that's happening. It's not only a Cuban radio station, it's a Colombian radio station that's sharing these things, or it's a Venezuelan radio station that's sharing these things. And that obviously resonates with people in these communities as they're trying to, you know, make decisions about how they're going to vote in this country. This is a large subset of people with diverse needs and issues. So when they're bombarded with disinformation, it makes it even harder for them to know what they even voted for. Right, as if it wasn't hard enough in the first place. And it's actually funny enough, I've talked to plenty of voters in South Florida, Latinos that live here, Cubans in the area that I grew up that live here. They don't realize, okay, you're Republican and you vote for Trump, but also you're signed up for Obamacare. There's that level of just miscommunication, disinformation, you know, that they have to vote Republican because Republican is better, yet they actually support and benefit from policies that possibly a Democrat did. And this is where the story gets particularly universal. These ideas, lies and disinformation meant to muddy the water, are like weeds. No matter how thoroughly they've been disproven, they continue to live on and continue to be a problem. Like, how often... Do you have someone reply to you online with something provably false, but is still incredibly resilient? Oh, Joshua, I don't read people replying to me online. But there's a reason for that. It can be shocking how bad it is out there. And this is something Sabrina found out for herself as she dove into the dark stuff that fuels all this misinformation. And what's terrible is sometimes people know this stuff is wrong and just don't care. I had never sat down to really look at how much disinformation is being spread, whether that be in English or in Spanish. I just have never sat through listening to an hour and a half podcast about how George Soros is a puppet master or how Democrats are communists or how Biden is actually a pedophile, like things like that. I had never like sat to, you know, fully listen to you just kind of write them off and say like, that's insane. It was just shocking to see how much of it there is and see how widely it has been shared or just the fact that, you know, people sometimes know it's false and they don't care. That I think was the most shocking thing. There's just some people you're not going to convince. Like there's just some people that actually believe this crazy stuff, these crazy conspiracy theories. And there's just like no way of, of changing that. I guess it's kind of an argument for how those of us who do just dismiss this stuff should maybe pay a bit more attention to what other people are reading and absorbing every day. We definitely tend to ignore it, which is one of the many reasons why this is such a big problem. We have the technology and the power to find the truth almost instantly, but disinformation spreads just as quickly and makes it extremely difficult to stay informed, which affects our decision making. So this is why I wanted to talk to my uncle, who this affects directly. If anything, it's misinformation that gets put out, even from word of mouth. When we get back, we'll zoom in on his struggle and hear firsthand from someone who isn't quite sure what he can believe anymore. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech, where we're talking about everyone's favorite topic around election time, social media. Specifically, all of the wonderful disinformation you can find on there. Even more specifically, the alarming case of falsehoods and wild conspiracies being spread online, on WhatsApp and other platforms among the Latinx community in Florida. As I said before, we talked to someone from my life that I know has dealt with this firsthand. He's my uncle Ezekiel, 
And to give you some background, my family is mostly made up of blue-collar folks, and we don't really talk politics. I think most of our family members are disconnected from politics and to the majority. My political journey has been my own. You know what I mean? Just I have nobody that I can talk to. As a matter of fact, everybody else tunes me out when I when we're talking about major issues. I'm like, these are major issues we're talking about here. I wanted to talk to my uncle specifically because he's frustrated and there's no real instruction manual for how to deal with that frustration. Right. Do you feel that at all, Jordan? Yeah, no, I definitely get that. Like, I have a lot of friends who talk about politics on the Internet and stuff. And it's like, okay, right. We're all really upset about this. But like, what do I actually do? And it just seems so unproductive sometimes. Yeah. And in talking to my uncle, he is sort of like trying to do the first thing that you would do when you sit down and think, okay, let let me do something about this, which is inform yourself. And as we are talking about, that is harder than it should be, or you'd think it would be. You have to know what's actually going on, right? I mean, for you to actually say, hey, look, man, there's a problem here. Maybe if somebody came along and fixed it and you know what to look for, then you're a little bit more informed because information is not being given to us. I promise you, as a Latin American, if anything, it's misinformation that gets put out, even from word of mouth. I noticed that. And that's what really propelled me to start looking into things, too, because it's like, look, I want to engage in this conversation. I really want to know what's going on in the world and feel informed because it affects me, too. See, that's the thing. What's going on in the world affects my household. Jeez, he sounds really switched on. (laughs) Yeah. And part of that is it's because he is. But what's rare here about my uncle's particular situation is that he hasn't come around to like what usually happens right around the time that, in my experience, you start to figure all this out, which is disillusionment. He's not quite there yet. Corruption is everywhere. Corruption is worldwide. We can expect that, right? But we need to have some sort of structure and hope. That's what structure brings to people is hope. I talked to him and he's very aware that there's a lot of bullshit out there. So I wanted to know how he got his news. And honestly, it's kind of astounding how much he takes in. So I go through CNN, I go to Fox, I go to, you know, I'm looking at both ends of the spectrum, even though these media companies are all controlled and I'm what I'm realizing. And this is how I'm deducing the truth. I look at The Hill, uh, Status Quo. I listen to the African Diaspora News Channel, the Secular Talk, uh, TYT, not so much these days. But still, I, I, I still listen because they do have a lot of informative stuff that doesn't get really circulated everywhere else. So this illustrates something that is a unique problem about news today, which is that a lot of people can be listening to all these different sources that like you have no idea who they are. And this is why my uncle has like this very omnivorous approach. Me personally, if you're not seeing what's being discussed at every table, you're not really understanding what your neighbors are going through. Listen, your neighbor's life could affect your life pretty much. If this guy feels like you're some sort of liberal, you're some sort of left Democrat, and he's, you know, an extremist, you know, a right radical, we can have issues. And this is the problem. This is why most people don't want to talk about religion and politics. My uncle here is articulating something that I've never really heard a lot of people talk about, which is concern for what other people might be thinking. And I think... One of the things informing this is is sort of like racism. As someone who lives in Florida with a large Latino population, there are strong feelings about that. So you sort of like, you tend to think more about like, man, what are these people near me? What do they think about me? 
Yeah, I totally had this, obviously in a different way, not about racism specifically, but after the referendum, after the Brexit referendum Mm, and the vote came out and we saw from the results that it was mostly older people who had voted to leave the EU, I remember for at least a day, like looking at all the old people on my street and being like, what did you vote (laughs) and why? Yeah, it can completely recontextualize your surroundings and like it's hard to move through the world in a like not suspicious way. And what's even more terrible about that is for as hard as he tries to get some kind of clarity, my uncle still can't say much with absolute certainty. I weigh in, right, by taking these multiple media outlets and seeing what's going on. But again, there's still a level of uncertainty still, even to today. From what we have to disseminate this truth, these media outlets, no matter which media outlet you look at, right, from radio to TV to to podcasts to written paper articles to it seems like so much is misinformation and the allowance of misinformation that that's what's scary to me i used to look at media the platform of media to be yo dude this these people are not going to be reporting on this you know uh, falsely the integrity of a journalist to me when i was a kid was through the roof like to me a journalist was like wow this guy he is he is getting to the root of the issue and he's reporting it for me I think he's getting at something there, though. Like, once you realize that some of the information that you're seeing out there in the huge, vast space that is the internet is fake or is false, then how do you know what to trust? Yeah. And this is something that Sabrina and I talked about, too. And she had mentioned the big part of what makes this disinformation so sticky is that it's really good at impersonating legitimate news. It all starts to blur together for you, and you don't really know what to think anymore. So in all of his searching, my uncle has found all these political positions that he has. Some of them are contradictory, but all of them he's thought about a lot. But he also doesn't feel like he's in a landscape where talking about them with anyone will accomplish anything. You know why? Because a lot of the people that I come in contact with, they're steadfast to their decision. They already made, they prejudge this whole situation. And it's so hard to try to change anyone's mind, even if we had that open dialogue, right? Because I'm more, I, I, I want that open dialogue. I want to have a conversation with somebody who shares the opposite views of what I'm sharing, because it, it, it makes me more informative on my position, right? Because it's either you're going to give me some information that's either going to make me think change my mind or solidify my position. I feel sometimes that that's a wasted, that's a wasted avenue. If I want to have an even exchange, I want to feel fulfilled with information when I leave after that conversation. And I'm not having that. I'm not having that dialogue. It's not, it's not a good situation with, with the family, my, my family at least, and even friends. And more so with friends because you're, you're more sensitive with friends than you are your family, I think at times. He's not wrong about that. I definitely worry a lot more about what my friends think about anything vaguely political that I might say, like on social media or anything. I'm definitely more concerned about what my friends think than I am about what my family might think if they saw it. Why do you think that is? Personally, I think it's because my friends, you know, being in media and having a lot of friends in very kind of activist circles, I think my friends are just a lot more concerned about the specific political views that I have and how I express them. Right. In a certain way that like your friends tend to make you define yourself in a way that your family doesn't. Because like, what are you going to do? They're still going to be your family. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Like I, my friends might ditch me Mm -hmm. if I tweet the wrong thing, but my family probably isn't going to go anywhere, you know? Yeah. 
One of the things that Michael and I were talking about was more or less the frustration he has with like the few family members that we have that do talk about politics. And he is frustrated in the sense where it's just, you know, a lot of what you see on the internet, which is like the regurgitation of like one particular point of view and not necessarily one that's thought about personally, but just sort of like adopted. And that's a particularly hard thing to sort of combat because it's like talking to a TV pundit where they just go back to the same talking points. It's frustrating. It's a problem I don't necessarily know how to solve for, how to sort of like contend with folks who just have their brains wired in a a different way thanks to the media that they're consuming. There are different lenses through which we talk about, you know, politics or just the news in general. And the language is very different. Like people don't use their own words. And that's, I think, where this gets hardest. It's sad. It's sad. That saddens me. I want to have an open dialogue with family and friends. I want to be able to have, look, man, tell me, show me your point. I mean, I'd love to know. I'd really love to know what good things have come from that point of view or, you know, that politician or, or this agenda. You know, it just, I don't know. I don't get that. I think what hearing your uncle talk really helps demonstrate is how someone can put in so much work and have the right kind of idea about how to go about things, right? And put in so much effort in trying to find true information and still come up against this huge problem of disinformation, right? Like even someone as obviously intelligent as your uncle can still experience this problem. Mm -hmm. And that's a really clear indication of just how much of a problem it is. Yeah. So, you know, despite all that, which was, you know, like, I got mixed feelings about, but like, you know, he's still my uncle and I'm going to actually talk to him <laughs> uh, and not just interview him, right? It was kind of nice for me because I don't really get to talk about politics with my family. And right now we're at a time where politics are kind of converging on them. But it's also a huge bummer because like, maybe I can help my uncle get some clarity, but there are so many people all over looking for that clarity And it's become so hard to find. I think I almost have the opposite problem in that I am only surrounded by people who feel very sure about things and they all feel mostly the same way. And that is an issue in itself because, like we talked about earlier, I don't know much about why people do get suckered into this kind of disinformation and what the thought process is and what sources they're looking at and how that all works. So listening to your uncle there has been really, really eye-opening for me, actually. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, it's not hard to figure out that people don't want you to know things, right? Most people in my family know that. But it then becomes hard to talk to them about it because there's no agreed-upon framework. You know, everyone's just living their life. They're trying to pay rent. They're trying to you know, keep their kids out of trouble. And because of that, you know, they're just building a framework as they go. And there are now all these places that you can go to build that framework, but not all of them are necessarily interested in informing you. Fortunately, we can maybe help a little bit. I asked Sabrina about this, the political reporter that we spoke to earlier. And while there's no silver bullet, there is some perspective that can help when someone you know is misinformed or peddling false information. 
I think the biggest thing is try and calmly and rationally explain why some of these things are incorrect and just share accurate information. If someone's already sharing it, then you need to be really careful about how you disprove it or how you talk about it. But I think like having some level of conversation is just important. So everyone knows like, this is the information that I'm looking at. What's the information you're looking at and getting informed in that sense. She makes it sound so easy. She really does. And one last tip that Sabrina gave us is... I think the number one thing people should know about this disinformation, though, is if you're only looking at your Facebook page, you're only going to get information from the people you follow. And I think diversifying your news sources is smart. And that's not me saying to defend, you know, mainstream media or defend Politico or defend anyone in specific. This story matters to me because someone who works as a journalist or as a podcaster, you see a lot of stories like Sabrina's, a lot of data, a lot of reporting about how much the Latino vote matters or the Latinx community matters, but so little engagement with that community. And it's hard to watch and feel like people from your background are being acknowledged, but not necessarily being talked to. So that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to just talk to somebody close to me that matters. You matter even if you don't feel spoken to and that there is a way to inform yourself and uh, participate even if you don't feel included and to know that people are working to try and change that. So as the American half of our international podcast, I'm going to ask you, please vote, not just in this election, but in every election, no matter how small it seems. Next time on Wild Wild Tech, Instagram and the online market for human remains. I'm looking at my producers right now. There's an online market for human remains. (laughs) You know, I am also going to tune in and find out what that's about. Wild Wild Tech is a Studio 71 original podcast and a spoke media production. It's hosted by me, Joshua Rivera, and Jordan Erica Weber. You can find us on Twitter at jmrivera02 and at jordanweber.com. Our producers are Cody Hoffmachel and Janielle Kastner, with help from Reyes Mendoza, Trey Jones, and Caroline Hamilton. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Perlstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71, and Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Sabrina Rodriguez and my uncle Zeke, what up? Be sure to follow us on social media. We're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech, a podcast about uh, jelly beans. I don't know. <laughs> Why did you make jelly beans? I wish our podcast was about <laughs> jelly beans. <laughs>